0: very chatty this morning. Sometimes sometimes I say introduce yourselves and no one's no, bothered. But this morning you seem interested. It's been a long time over the summer, hasn't it? Not long enough, I think. We're beginning a new series this morning. It may seem very sim- similar to our last series. Um, we're beginning a new series which will look at Ways in which we can live out our lives for God where we are at during the week. And you think, okay, we've done that. We did that all last term. You know, life on the front line. We've done that. We've sorted that. But that's the point, isn't it? We're not Christians when we're at church gathered together. That's not the only time we're Christians. We're Christians throughout our lives. And so the point of coming to church is to gather together to worship God and to be encouraged to live out our lives where we're at. And so that's what we continue to do so that we are encouraged to live for God, whatever setting we find ourselves in. We're going to begin this morning by looking at the letter of 1 Peter in the New Testament. Only a couple of verses, we're going to look at 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So you think, it'll be a short talk. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. It's a great beginning of a wonderful letter. And you know because of the way people communicate today, we don't necessarily receive many letters through the post, do we? Not like we used to when we and lots of us were a bit younger. And what we normally receive is not very personal. It's normally a bill. Or a sales pitch or something to do with, I don't know, polling or voting or something like that. And it's usually addressed as some form of our name. Dear Ms Lee. Dear Mrs Lees. Dear Reverend and Mrs Lees. Something like that. Something that's close but not quite right. Showing that actually the person who's addressed the letter doesn't really know us at all. They've just sent something out that can be read by everyone. Because it's very rare that we get something personal. When it was Joshua's birthday, he received lots of cards. Why does he you get loads of cards when you're little? I guess less as you get older, doesn't it? He received lots of cards. And they were all to him. And they were all personal. Because people who sent them knew him. But they were addressed in very different ways. It's quite interesting. Lots of them, of course, said to Joshua Lees because that's his name and that would make sense. But my mum, wonderful, she always addresses the cards to James and Joshua to Master. Master Joshua Lees. I thought, that's grand, isn't it? She always does that. It just makes me smile. Simon's parents always used the whole name to Joshua Ian Edward Lees. Oh. <laughs> That's quite grand as well, isn't it? Why did we do that? (laughs) Poor child. But then you get the ones from his friends, which are so wonderful. We've had, you know, two Josh, two Joshy, two Joshu, two J-something illegible, kiss, 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 kiss. But, you know, they're all cards that are addressed to someone they know and they like. Some of them are funny, some of them are really, really lovely, some of them were expected and raised a smile from the parents, but they're all personal, they're all addressed with love and it shows, however much we gloss over an address and what something should start at the beginning of the letter, it, it shows how important the address of a letter is. It says an awful lot about who it's coming from and who it's been sent to. And you know, at the beginning of this first letter of Peter in the Bible, we have a really interesting start to a letter. It's a letter that's actually addressed to a whole group of churches originally. Churches, as it says, in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Churches which were based throughout the whole region of what is now modern-day Turkey. And by all accounts, the churches that this letter is addressed to were small churches mostly made up of fairly ordinary, quite insignificant people in the society of the day. People who were probably mainly poor, they were probably quite downtrodden, they were probably on the edges of their society. And most likely because of their newfound faith in Jesus, they were people who had now become marginalised, pushed away from the centre. People who were excluded from the accepted norms because of what they had chosen to believe. They were, as Peter says at the beginning, scattered throughout this huge area of land. Small groups of Christians who, compared to the powers and systems that surrounded them, were isolated. They were weak. They were seemingly ineffective. So when Peter addresses them, when Peter writes this letter to them, primarily to encourage these young Christians, by the way, um, to encourage those who might be in the future or are at this time facing persecution, you would have thought that he might begin by addressing them in a suitable way. Poor, downtrodden churches, ordinary people maybe using sympathetic language because of the situation they're in, or urging them to keep their heads down in the midst of this adversity. So it's quite surprising, really, when he begins in a way that doesn't really seem to fit their situation. When he begins, in fact, in a rather grand way. When he he starts firstly by referring to these small, insignificant churches full of people who have no real social standing as God's elect quite grand, isn't it? God's elect, or if you like, those who have been elected by God. Now, this doesn't refer to some kind of heavenly voting system. You you have been elected. It doesn't refer to a call to public office or anything like that, but rather it refers to a people who have been chosen, chosen in a very specific way. People, if you like, who have been thought about, people who have been selected in a way, people who have been called for a purpose, people who have something to do, people who God planned a long, long time ago to choose, those who belong to him, the children of God, if you like. So if we were to put it in simpler language, this letter might begin, to the chosen children of God, those who are called by Almighty God himself. And then having referred to them like this, Peter goes on to talk about their location, which is equally surprising because he calls them exiles. Or if you like, temporary residents, people who don't really belong where they are. People who are passing through. Peter goes on to refer to these chosen children of God, not as people who belong to the world, but instead people who belong to another place because of what God has done for them. He says to the chosen children of God, the temporary residents scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, you have been chosen long ago by the hand of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, or if you like, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. You have been changed to become holy, set apart different. You have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, or to use more antibacterial language today, if you like, you have been cleaned by Jesus's sacrifice, so that now you live in his kingdom, rather than the world in which you are present. You are children of God, called to obedience in Jesus Christ. Or I guess if we were trying to condense the beginning of this letter even further. You could say Peter begins by saying to the chosen children of God, those who are forgiven, cleaned, transformed and holy, residents of the kingdom of God, called to live lives of obedience to Jesus, grace and peace be yours in abundance quite a grand opening to a letter, isn't it really? It's quite a grand opening to an ordinary letter to ordinary people. It's a little bit odd, really, if you think about it. I um, once received a letter from the Queen. I know, don't, you don't. No, you're not. Okay. I uh, actually, it was all orchestrated by myself. Um, When I was ordained, I thought it might be quite funny to invite the Queen. Because, you see, at your ordination, you have, like, apologies read out from people who you've invited. (laughs) And I thought, oh, it'd be really cool to invite the Queen. She's never going to come because, you know, she's the Queen. But I'd be able to read a letter out to everyone. So I wrote to the Queen and said, you know, I'm being ordained. Just wonder whether you'd like to come. It'd be a great occasion and we'd really like you to join us. And I received this letter back. It was brilliant. It was all stamped with the official stamp and seal and all that. And I opened it up and I thought, this is going to be really grand, isn't it? This is going to be a great letter that I can read out. And so I opened it, expected something wonderful, and it started, Dear Kate. and I'm like, Dear Kate. Well, I suppose that is me, but I was sort of expecting some kind of grand to, to your ordinary person, Kate, or something. Dear Kate. Sorry to tell you, the Queen can't attend to your ordination, but we hope you have a great time. <laughs> I was like, a little bit disappointed, to be honest. I thought she might have put fancy language. In fact, it wasn't even written by her. it's written by one of her people. I was a bit disappointed. thought I might get something better, but I didn't. And yet here, Peter uses this grand, hard-to-understand language to talk to ordinary people. I mean, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, a pretty important person in the Christian world, but he's not writing to the Roman authorities. He's not writing to the emperor of the time. He's not even writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to ordinary people, simple, ordinary Christians, those who are scattered throughout Turkey in small, struggling churches, and yet he uses this grand, seemingly, over-the-top language to begin such an ordinary letter Of encouragement. And yes, I guess some of it's down to the culture of the day, you know, the way that letters were written, the way that they were introduced. But I also think it's more than that. I think Peter's trying to make a point, both to the readers of the day and also to us, small churches in our country, as we read it now. Because you see, given the situation of these Christians throughout Turkey in their isolation and their numerical disadvantage, Peter knows that unless they are reminded of who they are and why they are the people that they are, the likelihood is that they will quickly forget their calling. That under the pressure of all that is around them, they will very quickly forget why they have been chosen by God in the first place. And their purpose for being. And so Peter here seeks to remind them in this grand, seemingly over-the-top language that they're not only Christians struggling against the tide of overwhelming opposition, but that actually they are the people of God. They are God's chosen people. And not only that, but they live in his kingdom. They're not residents in the world. That's not their home. Their lives instead are planted firmly in his kingdom. And therefore, they're not called to survive the world. They're not called simply to get through it, to huddle together and to hide away, waiting for the opposition to pass and hoping that they don't become the targets of someone. Instead, they're called to live lives of obedience to Christ, or if you like, to make the kingdom of God known wherever they might be. And that like their ancestors before them, like the people of Israel long ago, they have not been chosen because they're better than anyone else. They've not been chosen so that they could be kept away from everyone else, clean and pure, ready for God. They've not been chosen to be special among everyone else around them. They've been chosen so that they can reach out to everyone else. So that they can be a sign of the kingdom of God in which they live here on earth. And so Peter seeks to remind them of this. Because he knows that unless they grasp this truth, that they're special, that they have a purpose, that they have a role to play. That they're never going to be able to believe they can really make a difference in the world in which they live. And you know, just like the Christians of of Peter's time, I believe the same is true for us today. That in society where, although we're not outwardly persecuted, we are certainly in a, a numerical disadvantage. And at times we feel isolated as a little group of believers. Unless we know who we are and what kind of people we are, we will find it increasingly difficult to believe and to live like we can really make a difference in the world. Because, you see, unless we know and unless we remember, like those who first received this letter, that we're not simply Christians struggling against what's going on around us, but we are chosen children of God, chosen by a God who not only planned to choose us, but also did all the work... A God who called us, a God who's forgiven us, a God who is transforming us daily. And unless we realise that as the children of God, we're also citizens of the kingdom of God right here and now. Not one day in the future, but right now. That's the kingdom in which we live. We'll never, in all our weaknesses and in all our scatteredness and in all our mistakes that we make again and again, be able to understand that no matter where we are, no matter what we are doing, no matter where we find ourselves, we are living signs that the kingdom of God is here, active and open and welcoming on earth. We'll never be, understand, be able to understand that we were not chosen because we're special. We're not chosen so that we can stay pure and clean and keep away from anything so we're ready for God. But like our ancestors before us, we have been chosen to bring the grace and the love and the welcome of God to the world so that people will see this kingdom, will know this kingdom. And will be welcomed into this kingdom themselves. So you know, whether we're at home, or whether we're at work, or whether we're at school, or whether we're sitting on our own with no one else around, our role is not to hide away and hope that life keeps its distance, or not to believe we're special and lay the smack down on the world because we know what's right. But rather, our role is to... Live lives of obedience to Jesus, wherever we may find ourselves. Live lives of love for Jesus. Live lives which match up to the way the kingdom is, to the things of God. And then when we do this, to maybe marvel at the wonderful things that God does through us, day after day after day.